Welcome to the No-Till Farmer podcast, brought to you today by Yenner Farm Equipment. I'm lead content editor, Brian O'Connor. On this week's episode of the podcast, departed executive editor Julia Gerlach speaks to Kyle Schomers of Westphalia, Iowa. Schomers harvested 322 bushels per acre in the 2021 National Corn Grower Association Annual Yield Competition. That's good enough for first place in NCGA's non-irrigated no-till category for Iowa. Schomer's credits balanced nutrient application and timely rains for his win. Here's Julia's conversation with Kyle. First and foremost, what do you think was the key to your winning corn yield in 2021? What do you attribute to that? <laughs> Luck. Luck. <laughs> uh, you know, it just so happened that last year we got timely rains. Mm-hmm. And, you know, when I went looking at all the fields before harvest, I said we would have a around an APH type crop. So, you know, 10 year proven history average is kind of where I thought it would be. Mm-hmm. And just doing kernel counts and ear sizes, you know, that kind of thing. But the test weight was a lot heavier than what we thought it would be. So those timely rains just, you know, they can add 30 to 40 bushels or more and you won't even, you won't even know it until you get into harvest. So I, I guess, you know, we tried to do everything right. We could as far as nutrients and timing and all that stuff, but you still got to have mother nature's help. And I guess I think we did the nutrient part right, and she helped us out <laughs> on the back end. Yeah, okay. So since you're talking about nutrients, um, can you run through what your program was? So on that plot or that where we did the entry, um, we did about 150 pounds of phosphorus and 120 pounds of potash um, in the fall, the fall okay. before. Um, and that was just broadcast spread. Okay. And then we put about 180 pounds of anhydrous on in the fall. And then in the spring, we put on 20 gallons an acre or 70 units of 32% liquid nitrogen. And that went on with the planter. It's, and it's just dribbled on top of the ground behind the row or on, off to the side of the row. And and then we put five gallons of an 819.3 starter on with it. And then we use a, a biological called Ultra. It's an organic biological um, that we put a quart per acre on. That's what we did for our fertility. We, we didn't Y drop. We're 20 inch rows. So for us, Y drops really aren't real feasible because uh, even though the where we put this um, national corn growers entry is a nice flat piece of ground. We don't have a lot of flat piece of ground. Uh-huh. So Y drops just don't work for us in our hills. The 30 inch guys can do it, but 20 inch rows, you just, you damage too much. So that, that's pretty much our, what we did fertility wise on that. Okay. And that biological, the ultra, do you know what's in that biological? I'm not real scientific, so I don't, you know, I don't know all the names, but sure. uh, it is organic. So it's just, you know, it's just made up of a lot of 
you know, I, I don't even know how they do it, but we've been using it for about six years and it's, we've lagged the results. So we just kept with it. It's by AgriGrow. It's called Ultra. And um, you said that all goes on with the planter also, the biological? Yep. Okay. Yep. We, we mix <clears> that in with doing, the starter. So you're not doing any um, side dressing at all? No. Oh, okay. No, no side dressing. Okay. We, we're 20 intro corn and it's, it's, it's just too hard to get, it's too hard to follow rows, uh, you know, with tire sizes and our, our hills and contours. You just, you damage too much crop by trying to get down the rows. Okay. So all, all of our, all of our nutrients go on either pre-plant or with the planter. Yeah. Okay. And are you using RTK steering at all or no? We are. Yeah. Yep. But you still can't yep. do it. That's interesting. It's, yeah, it's, I mean, you got 20 inches in between each row and yeah. most of the tire sizes are 18. So oh, too, way it's too just close. It's too tight of a margin. Yeah. I see. Yep. Okay. When you were talking about the starter with a 32%, is that a two by two uh, configuration? Um, so the starter we is a 8193 and that goes in furrow and then the the 32% is is a 2 by 2 out the back so it actually just lays it on top of the ground okay right. 2 inches above the seed and 2 inches to the side okay and then okay so the potash and phosphorus are broadcast in the fall and the anhydrous is that knifed in or something knifed in yep okay and do you have any kind of special do you do anything like a Fertilizer, uh, stabilizer, or anything with it, or anything. We didn't on that farm. No, nope, it was just just straight in hydrus. And how big of a um, plot is it that you use for the contest? Acre? Oh, I think we did like ten acres. Okay. And you know, you harvest an acre and a quarter, and then you know, it's so it's real small. But we we did like ten acres and tried to pick out the part of it. You know. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I don't think you could farm that way <laughs> for everything. It's just not um, real feasible, but. Yeah, right. Well, and then I guess I'm curious, how different is your nutrient strategy for these acres compared to the rest of your acre, acres? So it's it's not a lot different. I mean, we, we put the the starter, the 32, the anhydrous, you know, all of that goes on all the other acres. The P and K does as well. Um, it's, uh, you know, when you have a lot of different soil types and some soils can, the more you feed it, the more it'll do. Mm -hmm. Other soil types doesn't, you know, you got to kind of know how much you can feed it without, if you try to feed it too much, it it only will do so much. So at some point you're wasting fertilizer, you're wasting money. So it's, if it was as easy as just keep pushing and everything out there and it keep producing more then you would you would probably do it but yeah. at some point it just it caps you know and it just doesn't produce anymore uh-huh okay gotcha um so are you doing um variable rate fertilizer on the rest of your farm or you yep so we variable rate our our pnrk um and even our anhydrous uh, that particular piece, we did not variable rate the anhydrous, which it just, it was all what I would call 
some of our best dirt. So it was getting, it was getting a, a bigger, uh, most of our variable rate stuff is getting 160 to 180 pounds. And mm -hmm. this was probably closer to 190 actually. Okay. Okay. Since it was a contest, we were trying to push it a little bit. Yeah. Have you entered the contest before? Oh, we entered it the year before. Uh -huh. Yeah. And I think we got like seventh. Oh, okay. All right. So. Very good. So yeah, since we were in the top 10, we thought, well, let's <laughs> try it again. Yeah. Oh, good. So, and then that particular plot, that, that ground that you did the contest acres on, what did you grow the year before? Uh, soybeans. Soybeans. Okay. Yep. And, um, has has doing this uh, helped you learn anything in particular about your crops or the land's potential? Um, or what is the biggest takeaway that you have learned that could be applied across your fields? Um, I mean, we've always known that certain parts of, of fields have a lot of potential compared to other parts. Mm -hmm. um, honestly, I've really other than the year before when we tr first tried it, I've, I I didn't even know what what it took to, you know, I didn't even know how many acres you had to do. Um, so it was just kind of a, let's just try it and see, because we, we knew we had spots that could crank out some pretty big numbers. But once you harvest it, you can't, I think you've got to have it all entered beforehand. So I see. we just, I don't know, I guess, we never thought about doing it. And then someone asked me if we would, if we would try it, it was a seed company that asked if we would try it. Oh. And so we, that's, we did. Um, I, I think we're doing a lot of things right. Um, as far as variable rating and, and that kind of stuff, but maybe there's a few more spots in our farm that we could maybe up those levels to achieve some higher numbers. But, uh, there's enough spots in our farms that you couldn't do this program on all of it just because you're you're chasing uh dollars that probably aren't there sure right on the hilltops or something like that yeah mm -hmm. yeah i mean there's certain side hills and which we do try to treat those those areas you know we try to buy some uh we don't feed cattle but we've got a neighbor that has a feed line so we'll buy some manure and spread those areas that are a little bit thin and that does help but yeah that's that's probably the biggest thing okay so the contest acres did they get any manure at all they got they did get a little bit of manure and that was probably and maybe that was attributed to why the the number was so big um because typically that's it's a piece of ground that is high in p and k or you know, has good levels of P and K. So we don't have to, we don't have to bring in manure to, to bump those levels up. Mm -hmm. We just did it because we knew we were going to join that or enter that contest. So we thought, well, let's put a little bit on just to try, you know, to yeah. see if we get a little bit of bump. And it, 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 I believe it did. Um, but the manure is pretty expensive. So it'd be hard to, hard to justify that. And you wouldn't be able to get enough to do all your acres. You know, it's just, and when did feedlots not big enough? Oh, I see. Okay. And when did you apply the manure? Uh, it was probably right after harvest, the year after before. Harvest, the year before, I see. Oh, okay. 
And when you are figuring out your nutrient, like what you're going to apply in the case of the contest acres, did you take the nutrient um, analysis of that manure into consideration or was that just sort of bonus? I think it was just bonus because we didn't, we just, it was just kind of on a whim. Let's, let's give a little bit of, of manure before, yeah, before winter. And then, you know, once we, we knew that when we planted it, it would kind of work it in a little bit. Rains would snow would kind of help work it in. Sure. And do you remember how much manure you applied? Oh, it was probably 10 ton an acre. Okay. And so what's your process on how to figure out what to try for next year? Um, I mean, obviously that was a pretty good year. So we did a lot of the things the same uh-huh. this year. Yeah. Um, you know, seed selection is another thing that you got to have a hybrid that that can run, um, a racehorse type hybrid. Um, you know, there can be 10, 15, 20 bushels just in the hybrid. Um, and so, but you got to also try to pick a hybrid that is going to withstand some of the elements that we get, such as high winds and periods of no rain. And because yeah. um, we had those last year too. Oh, sure. uh, you know, we went three, four weeks at a time where we wouldn't get rain and then you'd get enough just to keep it going. And, but so picking hybrid is probably what I focused on more this year. Oh, okay. Yeah, tell me a little bit more about your hybrid. So obviously you were going for the racehorse, a racehorse hybrid of some sort. Can you remember what exactly caught your eye about that particular one? And I'm, I know I haven't noted here what you used, but I'm. Yeah, so we used last year. We used a Wiffles uh, seventy six ninety six, and we've used that hybrid for probably three years. Um, it's, it's a really good hybrid, but it has to be managed very closely because uh, when it reaches maturity and it starts to dry down, um, it starts to dry down really fast. And when it dries down really fast and it gets down to 22, 20, between 20 and 22%, it really wants to cannibalize, the stock does. Mm. And then if you get any 20 mile an hour wind will blow it over. So oh, you have to get it out before it gets to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you're busy doing soybean harvest, sometimes you, you know, you just don't get to it in time. We happened to get to it, I think, right in time because it was just about to the point you could go around and you could pinch the stalks and there was hardly anything left of them. So it was, it was to the point where it was about ready to go over. But I, and we harvested it, I think around 21 or 22%. Okay. But that's a hybrid where I, I think you get a lot more yield if it's harvested at 26 or 7%. Oh, okay. Um, but we have a we have a grain dryer, so we can handle high moisture corn. You yeah. Know. And what was your plant and harvest dates? Um, believe it was planted on the, like the 29th of April, and it was harvested like the 17th of October. Okay. I'm curious, do, does the contest stipulate anything about plant date, harvest date, or uh, harvest moisture? I don't know if it says if, it, if you have to be below 25% or anything like that. I, I, I guess I... I'll have to look at the rules. I didn't worry about that part. <laughs> <laughs> gotcha. Okay. Um, 
All right. So in the last three years, in what area did you most push the envelope? Like nutrients or selecting hybrids or? Um, yeah, I would say technology probably. Oh, so um, what do you mean by that? You know, going to hydraulic downforce on the planter, um, row by row, um, liquid technology where you can monitor each row individually. We've, we've done like seed shut off for 12 years. So that's something we've already had done. But I think adding the hydraulic row by row downforce was probably our biggest yield increase okay. we got from that. Did you see um, much uh, more even emergence or something from that? Yeah, a lot more even emergence. Yeah. Okay. And so was that just something you verified visually or did you have some other way of measuring that? We verified it visually and then we have our agronomist that also told us our stands were better, you know. Okay, very interesting. Um, and so was that precision planting that you? Uh, yes, yep. We had, last year we had precision planting, yep. And so this year we have, we traded our planter. So this year we're our John Deere, oh, okay. their version of it, but. I see, okay. Because last year you used a John Deere 1795. Yep. Last year we had a 17, John Deere 1795 that had all precision planting parts on it. Okay. This year we have a John Deere 1795 that has all John Deere parts on it. Okay. And why did you make that switch? I just felt like every three years, depending on how many acres you farm, but for us, you know, you put 2,500 acres on a planter in three years it's time to start fixing the planter up. And so we always look at trading, whether we do it or not. Sometimes mm -hmm. we don't, sometimes we just fix the parts and this just happened to be a year where we decided to trade it. I see. Um, we, we did use some of our seed reps and fertilizer reps as far as their input on what they've seen. And then our, our agronomist asking him, you know, is there one that's better than other as far as precision John Deere? And mm -hmm. the answer we kept coming back to was they're pretty equal. Okay. So we felt comfortable doing it. We'll get back to Julia's talk with Kyle Schomers in a moment. First, I want to thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment. Yetter Farm Equipment is your answer for success in the face of ever-changing production agriculture challenges. Yetter offers a full lineup of planter attachments designed to perform in varying planting conditions. Yetter products maximize your inputs, save you time, and deliver return on your investment. Visit them at yetterco.com. And now, back to Julia and Kyle. So the John Deere 1795 that you used last year, you said 20 inch rows and how many rows are you running? 20, 24. 24, okay. Um, and then what was your planting population on the seed? Um, it was 35,000. Oh, okay. So you didn't have a whole lot of loss. That's no. Good. Yeah. Nice. So do you have a specific equipment dealer that you work with, by the way? Uh, we mostly work with Van Wall. Our local dealer, 
was Horizon Equipment and Vanwell bought them out. So Vanwell has like 35 stores in Iowa. So we can go 15 miles in any direction and run into one. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That's nice. Was there anything about your equipment setup that you did uh, last year that worked really well? I mean, aside from the down pressure that you already talked about, or is there anything that you that didn't work and you're, you just decided we're not going to do that again? Yeah, I think we liked everything that we that we had on our planner. Um, nothing that didn't work. Um, I I do like the, you know, we were running our liquid nitrogen out the back on top. I, I like the idea of of the the new technology that's out that would knife it in in the gauge wheel area. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like that technology. It's uh, I just haven't bit the bullet on the price and put it on yet. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, I like I really like the technology of the um, automated closing wheel systems that are out there. Um, as far as you know they they're ran with air and they're automatically changed on the go as far as what the conditions tell it to and I I like that technology a lot Um, especially when you get in a year like this year where you had more moisture during planting than normal and if you don't get that sidewall compaction broken up that can hinder your your yield and so I really like that technology I just I'm kind of using this last year and this year as my watch it close and pay attention and Mm -hmm. I might do it for next year okay gotcha um and so can you just walk me through what is on your um the row units um so the row unit has this you know standard row unit and then we've added the row by row liquid fertilizer. Okay. For the for the starter, which is in furrow, and then for the nitrogen, which is um, tubed out the back behind the closing wheel. Uh-huh. We changed the closing wheel from the standard rubber wheel to uh, Schlegel. Okay. Closing wheel. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I do like those. I I think they do a good job. And is that There's, two? There's two of them. Yep, and they kind of have a a curved tine that helps dig that compaction out. Yeah. Or break it up. Okay. So do you Um, have row cleaners? We do have row cleaners, yep. It's a disc opener? Double disc opener, yep. Uh Uh-huh, okay. Yep, and then the hydraulic downforce. Um, It's, uh, the row units are all electric so there's no chains you know it's just it's all electric now which technology is great when it works um <laughs> when it doesn't you pull your hair out but yeah. <laughs> it's uh right. it's just part of it thus the 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 short look you, you got there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> yep. did you guys have yep. some issues last last year on, on yeah we had a Thankfully, we didn't while well, we were putting that plot in, but we later on in pl- the planting season, we had a, a wiring harness that was giving us fits that took us a couple of days to find the problem. But wow. that's that was 
played into the part while we traded it. It was just getting some age on it. And yeah. So, so what was what were you experiencing? What was telling you that something wasn't working? But it wasn't letting one row plant for for whatever reason. I see. And it it ended up being as simple as we unplugged the the wiring harness that plugged into the to that rose uh, fertilizer controller. Mm. And when we did that, it let the row plant. And oh. we don't know why. It really doesn't make any sense. Right. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but yeah, it, it took us a long time to figure that out. Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be maddening. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. Um, let's see. So how many years have you been no-tilling and how did you get into no-tilling? No-tilling? Um, we've been doing it for probably 20 years. Oh, okay. um, We no-till our soybeans into our corn stalks. We no-till our corn into our soybean stubble. We do not no-till our corn into our corn. So if we go corn on corn, we with 20 inch rows, it's, there's just a lot of trash to get through the planter, so it's not real feasible mm -hmm. to get that much trash in that tight of an area. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what we don't no-till. I see. But yeah. otherwise, we've been no-tilling for 20 years. Okay. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. Can't do that <laughs> corn on corn in yeah. 20 rows. Yeah. So it's just, what, yeah, it's just tough. Yeah. What uh, What led you to start no-tilling 20 years ago? Um, I mean, you know, you, anytime you do a lot of tillage, you get a hard pan that you have roots that just have a tough time getting below it. Mm -hmm. Um, plus the benefits of saving fuel labor is not exactly easy to come by mm -hmm. anymore. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so right. finding the time to do it. Um, so that's, I mean, those were the biggest reasons, but the, but the hard pan issues we were having was kind of the biggest thing i see you know, just that much tillage is the ground needed a break and we were experiencing better yields no tilling than we were yeah. tilling so we oh. we quit all the tillage uh-huh oh, that's plus nice. less erosion yeah you know. yeah so do you feel like um you've gotten past those uh hard pan issues now after having been yeah and, and and every once in a while we we still go in and deep rip fields um but we do it a lot less often i see you know maybe once every seven or eight years oh, instead okay. of every, every other year you know uh -huh. type of thing yeah and why do you do that what uh what makes you feel the need to do that i mean if if you just take a probe and probe into the ground you can kind of tell mm -hmm. especially the probes that are electronic you know they'll tell you how many pounds it's taking to get through it and you know if you get get those spots where it's taken you know a couple two three hundred pounds to get through it's it's time to loosen it up gotcha yeah and so did you have any um, mentors or anything when you started no-tilling? Was there anybody in the area who was helping you guys out or? Uh, we have an agronomist. We've used him for the last, I think we were his first customer oh. 25 years ago. So, wow. I mean, he's helped us a lot. 
So what generation are you on the farm, by the way? Fourth. Fourth, okay. And so are you, do you have, um, like, your dad still involved or anything? My dad is still involved, yep. He's every day getting closer to retirement. Okay. So, but he's still, he still likes to, to help in the busy season. You know, he doesn't, this time of year, he likes to golf, that kind of travel, that kind of thing. But. Oh. Uh-huh. In the fall, he still wants to be in the combine or in the tractor. Sure. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Um, and go ahead. My uncle as well. He, they were, you know, they're brothers and they farmed for years. And so okay. I'm the next one behind them. Very cool. And um, did any of your forebears have off farm jobs at all? Or has it all been, y'all have been able to make a living from the farm? Yeah, um, I mean, they they had a lot of livestock years ago, you know, 15 to years ago. And before that, they had a lot of cattle, a lot of hogs. Um, so, you know, I after, when I, I went to college and after college got a job and then I came back when they had got out of livestock and they were starting to slow down a little bit. I see. Mm-hmm. So, that, yeah, it's, we haven't worked off farm jobs okay since then and no livestock currently no okay no we we will feed some cattle at the neighbor's feedlot um but not we don't have our own feeding facilities anymore okay and then what do you do with them after you just sell them off after you've gotten them yeah Yeah. okay yep and i don't think i asked um what is your overall acreage on the farm about 2,500. Oh, okay. Um, okay. And then, okay, you told me about my, oh, so you're not doing any micronutrients. So the, well, I guess micronutrients, we do have one in our uh, starter. We add some zinc to it. Oh, okay. Um, 8.19.3. Plus some zinc. Yeah, some okay. zinc. Uh, we, we do add some sulfur broadcast. Um, We've airborne that, so, but, but yeah, that's, I mean, once in a while, if we see a need, we'll throw some on. Yeah, but for your contest acres in particular, did you do that? It would have been that we would have added like the zinc and the sulfur. Okay. The zinc, and, the zinc was part of the starter mix, and the sulfur was was in our phosphorus mix. Okay. So that was broadcast in the fall. Do you yep. remember how much of that was put on? Uh, I would I would say probably 30 pounds, 40 pounds, something like that. Okay. And do you remember how much zinc was in your in with your starter? I think it's like 0.5. So you could say it was an 8193.5. I see. What about weed, insect, and disease control methods? What did you use for that plot? So we would spray uh, our pre-emerge like Keystone LA. Um, We spray that in the spring before plant. And then we'll come back with our post. And our post last year consisted of Roundup, Callisto, Atrazine. That would be our um, weed control. Mm -hmm. Insects. we didn't use any insecticide with the seed. We we did spray 
when we put our fungicide on with our we, we put the fungicide on with the airplane hmm. after tassel and we put insecticide in with it okay mostly that's to try to control corn rope worm beetles for the for the next year okay but the the traits that the hybrid has and the seed treatment is enough to get us through most of the insects. Okay. What is the seed treatment? So like, uh, I'm trying to remember what Wiffles uses. Um, they'll, they'll use like a, um, well, it's a, well, it's a double pro hybrid. So they use, uh, it's all above ground traits, which it controls corn board. Um, you know, I I can't remember what products they have on theirs, um, but it's just a standard standard rate. Nothing yeah. nothing over top. Okay, gotcha. Um, and then, do you grow cover crops at all? We haven't gotten into cover crops yet. Mm -hmm. um, we do grow alfalfa, but that's its own. You know, it's its own crop. Yeah. Um, and we leave it in for four years. Any so that's that'd be that'd be the only crop that we use besides corn and soybeans. Yeah. Okay. Currently, do you grow? Do you go to corn after the uh, after soybeans? I mean, after yeah, sorry, so after, after alfalfa. After alfalfa, we usually go corn. Yeah. Yep. Okay. Maybe maybe even two years of corn. Oh. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so, any thoughts on uh, doing cover crops? Uh, you know, I've been looking into it. Just we we had a bad experience probably f ten years ago with with rye um, oh. and and getting it killed. But oh. uh, I've I've looked into rye ahead of soybeans, and a lot of people like what it's doing. Um, I just haven't tried it. We just are gun shy from our bad experience 10 yeah. years ago. Right. Um, we just had a hard time getting it killed and we felt like it robbed nutrients from, from the corn crop, which I think there's other cover crops that we could use ahead of corn instead of rye. Right. Mm -hmm. okay. But currently we haven't done it, but we are looking into it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, and then how do you go about measuring costs, profit, and ROI? I guess, you know, I'm big into putting budgets together before the year and, you know, having targets as far as price targets and having those orders working because if you don't, um, a lot of times you don't make the sale because when the market's going up, you think it keeps going up type of mentality. So if you if you know what your break evens are and where you are happy with profits and you make those sales when when they get there, um, then you you won't regret it, you know, type of thing. Uh, but sticking to a budget and always having that in the back of your mind when you're making sales is is key, you know. Mm -hmm. Try not to overspend. Try not to, you know, buy anything unless it's a, a necessity. You know. Yeah. yeah. Right. Okay. 
Um, so is there anything in particular you're hoping to try out either uh, 23 in 2023 or 2024? Um, like I said on that uh, um, close it, automated closing wheel system, I, I like that, but it comes with a hefty price tag. So I want to see what some of these plots do as far as with it. Some have it with it, some have it without it. So I want to see how that looks and you know when you're when you're looking at something that's that expensive how how fast is it going to pay for itself type mm -hmm. of thing yeah i see okay yeah do you have a guideline for that in terms of uh how fast you would need it to pay for itself in order to see it as a well purchase yeah i mean i i feel like the equipment like those type of parts wear out in you know, five years or so. So I like to get it paid for within two so that you have two or three years of, of bonus or gravy, you know? Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. So what do you do that's unique from other no-tillers? Anything in particular, planting speeds, tissue sampling, anything in particular um, products? We do, we do tissue sampling. Okay. Um, so uh, we'll sample, we'll tissue sample, um, ahead of when the fungicide is applied. And if, if the crop is, a, is needing of something, then we'll, we'll add it to the fungicide so that, because when we're tissue sampling, the crop's too tall for us to get through it with any machine. I see. So we'll, we'll you know, we'll aerial apply that. Um, you know, I, I think paying attention to where you're at fertility wise, um, because it's all about balance. You know, it's, it's about balancing because you can have really high in one nutrient, really low in the other nutrient, you know, and if it's, it, you just have to have a good balance and our agronomist has helped us with that a lot. Mm -hmm. um, adding sulfur the last few years has helped a lot. Mm -hmm. um, I believe the variable rate has helped a lot um, instead of just going out there and blanketing whatever, you know, it's just, mm -hmm. I, I feel like uh, timing um, and different applications, you know, you do some in hydrus and some with the planner has helped. So it's kind of a combination between all that stuff, equipment, you know, making sure your equipment's the right, in the right shape and timing, you know, we don't, we try not to plant if it's, if everybody's out planting, but, but yet the ground is telling you, you should wait a day, then you wait a day, you know, that type of thing. Um, I guess the only other thing I didn't ask, um, what is your soil type in that contest plot? Uh, it would be Marshall soil. Okay. So in our area, Marshall's kind of the best of the best. I see. Uh-huh. So, I mean, that's the reason why we picked that spot. <laughs> <laughs> right. Gotcha. Okay. And are you fortunate to have a lot of Marshall on your, on your farm or just in specific uh, places? I wouldn't say we have a lot. We probably have 20%. Um, is Marshall. We have a lot of Monona soil, which is still good. Not as good as Marshall, but still good. 
Marshall's, uh, you know, if you could have your whole farm in Marshall, uh, Marshall soil, you would, but um, <laughs> it just doesn't exist. That's it for this week's episode. We'd like to again thank our sponsor, Yetter Farm Equipment, for helping to make this no-till podcast series possible. If you like today's discussion, the full take on Kyle Schomers' approach to high-yielding no-till corn is available on our website as part of the No-Till Corn Pushing the Boundaries of Yield Potential Special Report. It's all about no-tillers who participate in and win the NCGA Annual Yield Contest. Just visit our store tab for a description and to consider purchase. A link can also be found on this episode's webpage. More podcasts about no-till farming are available over at notillfarmer.com slash podcasts. That's no-tillfarmer.com slash podcasts. Transcript of this episode will be available there shortly. Subscribe to us wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any feedback on today's episode, please feel free to email me at b-o-c-o-n-n-o-r at lessetermedia.com or call me at 262-777-2413. You can also keep up on the latest no-till farming news by registering online for our No-Till Insider daily and weekly email updates and Dryland No-Tiller e-newsletter. And be sure to follow us on Facebook or Twitter. For our entire staff here at No-Till Farmer, I'm lead content editor Brian O'Connor. Thanks for listening, and keep it no-till.